This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. It is so good to be here with you today, man. We have a lot going on, don't we? We've got today we finished Deeper Track, so that's I'm excited about that. Week three of Deeper. Uh, we had community groups start last week, so if you um, didn't get a chance to sign up for a community group, uh, do it. Do it. And so see Natalie. Natalie, everybody, everybody look at Natalie. See Natalie, if you missed it, you want to sign up for a community group or come find me, I can help you find one. Um, groups, man, they're so important in our Christian walk, aren't they? Having people that we can walk with, get to know, can can walk through tough times, good times, bad times, celebrate life with. And so if you missed out, don't miss out. All right. And then also going on, we've got a little bit of a renovation project happening right now. huh? I mean, not right now, right now, but over at Whitley Road Elementary School, we got a bunch of painting left that are done last yesterday. So, uh, man, it's it's just a lot of great things. So we are walking through our Don't Waste Your Life series. And if you've been here, if you remember, we we started week one, Don't Waste Your Life. You have something to give. Week two was Don't Waste Your Life Being Bitter. Week three was Don't Waste Your Life Worrying. And uh, we got a fun one for you today. So I remember as I was thinking about what we're talking about today, it reminded me of uh, a coach that wasn't my coach, but he. But I went to Central Junior High. Does anybody know where Central Junior High is? So I went to Central Junior High, and uh, whenever I was there, the both football coaches left at both of the high schools, right? So Trinity High School, boo, and then L- LD Bell High School, yeah, boo, even worse. Right? Uh, <laughs> Whoever did that, you're out. Uh, where's the ushers? Could you escort those people out of here, please? Um, <laughs> sorry. But anyway, so whenever that happened, we had the coaches, the new coaches came in and they spoke to us. And it, it one, you know, one coach ended up doing pretty well for himself. The other coach was fired like after a couple of years. So one went really well, one didn't. And, and I remember when they came and spoke to us, uh, one of them, what he said is stuck with me kind of my whole life. And he had this water pitcher. And he walked in, he had this water pitcher, and it was like a cheesy magic trick, but it was pretty cool. So he brought this water pitcher in, and he emptied it out, and he poured it out, and he said, if you come to our school, he said, we're going to get everything out of you. And he emptied it out. And then he flipped it back over, and he said, but when you think that you've given us everything you've got, he poured it over, he said, we're going to get a little bit more. He flipped it back over, and he said, then when you think you've given everything and there's nothing left to give. We're going to squeeze you. We're going to pre- put pressure on you. We're going to help you and we're going to motivate you and we're going to get even more out of you. And he dumped the pitcher over and even more water came in. He did that several times over and we're like, how much water is in that bucket? It's like this big, right? And we did it over and over and over. But that stuck with me. It stuck with me because there was something being like a 14-year-old kid, there was something that was attractive to me, as cheesy as it is looking back, something that was attractive to me about that of somebody saying, I'm going to get the best out of you. I'm going to get the most out of you. And when you think there's nothing left to give, I'm going to get even more out of you, right? And there's something about situations in life. There's something about circumstances in life. There's even something about people in our lives that pull things out of us that we didn't even think that we had in us. Am I right? Now, sometimes those things are really good things that they pull out of us. Sometimes those things aren't so good things that they pull out of us, right? Amen? Amen? And so 
there's all these pressures, there's all these things that go on in our lives that squeeze and pull things out of us. Some pressures are good, some pressures are bad. Um, and, and sometimes there's tragedy that happens. Sometimes there's suffering that happens. Sometimes there's things in life that pull out of us stuff that we didn't even know we had in us. I think about, I think about the tragedy that happened in the Las Vegas shooting this last week. And, and I mourn for it. And it's, it's so, it's just tragic and there's nothing good in it. But I think of what it pulled out of some of the people that have you, have you guys read the stories and seen some of the stories of some of the heroes that were there that day? Like there's, there's some incredible stories. One was of a, of a guy who went and stole a truck. Did y'all hear this? He went and stole a truck. So a guy goes and steals a truck and he takes it back to the field and he begins picking up people who had been shot and wounded, wounded, putting them in the truck and taking them to the hospital. He's a former Marine and he took over 30 people to the hospital, rescuing them, potentially saving their lives. Isn't that incredible? I bet you if you asked him before if he thought he had that in him, I bet you. And then I read the story of a husband who literally, they were there for their 23rd wedding anniversary and he literally laid his wife on the ground and laid on top of her and ended up sacrificing his life to save her. It's incredible, isn't it? Sometimes life pulls things out of us that we didn't even know were there. Right now we're in a, our country's in a really crazy place, right? Like we've got um, tragedy kind of happening all around us. We had the Las Vegas shooting. We had the, the Puerto Rico, the hurricane in Puerto Rico. We had the hurricane in Florida, the Texas coast. Like think about the, the one that happened in Houston down South Texas. That was like a couple months ago. And it feels like it was a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Because everything that's been happening one after the other after the other and all around us in our world, there are people who are suffering. And I think maybe for us, maybe I don't know where you are in your life, but maybe we're not affected by those things right now. Like the, I mean, the shooting we see and we're like, oh, that stinks, but it doesn't maybe directly affect us. Like the hurricane in Houston, I mean, the worst thing that happened to most of us is we like couldn't get gas for a day or two. That's a little bit of stress. That's not, but there's suffering happening all around us. And maybe, maybe, maybe those things seem far away. Maybe they're not affecting us right now, but the truth about suffering and the truth about life is that if you're not facing tragedy today, if you're not facing or dealing with suffering today, at some point in your life, you will. And at some point in your life, you're going to walk through that and have to deal with it. And, and my question is, what we're going to talk about today is when that happens, when you deal with that tragedy or when you deal with that circumstance that brings suffering out of you, what will come out of you? What will, to go back to that coach, what will be squeezed out of you? In the, that, those moments, we don't necessarily choose what comes out of us, what's in us comes out. Pressure brings things out of us that we didn't even know was there. And I, just to be honest with you, I struggle with what we're going to talk about today. Um, because we talked about, we started off with don't waste your life. You have something to give. Then we went with don't waste your life being bitter and worry. And I was like, I, I was thinking about this topic this week, like Monday, I was thinking about this and I was like, I really don't want to go here because it's kind of da- a downer. It's kind of, you know, it's a hard one. I didn't want to like, I'm, I didn't want to put a weight on you guys. Just yet. I was like, let's do something a little happier and then maybe come back to this. And, uh, and so just to just share something with you. So then Tuesday morning, um, I got a phone call. It was about a guy named TJ who I was his pastor back in Georgia. And so uh, TJ was a really awesome kid. Uh, he lived down the street from me. And so we spent a lot of time together. Like he loved to kayak and be outdoors. And so like literally we'd go kayaking together. And one time he lost Katie's paddle 
in the in the lake we were at and it went to the bottom of the lake and he spent like an hour and a half in the dark diving down trying to get this paddle like i'm i'm like dude let's go home like i don't even care and he's still you know it was crazy but so i get this phone call that he had pulled out on his way to work had pulled out in front of a semi truck and was hit and killed tragically and so i go to the funeral and i'm i'm sitting there and i'm watching and i'm seeing his parents so i go to hug his dad and he's shaking crying in my arms and i'm just i'm just watching this and feeling the weight of this and i'm watching this battle that they're having going on i'm watching this, this struggle even in their own faith and it was kind of in that those moments getting that phone call and walking through this realizing how crucially important this topic is for us to talk about in our christian faith because even if you're not dealing with suffering and pain right now you will at some point and so today our topic is if you take notes you say, Mike, that's kind of a weird way to say it. Like, shouldn't it be how to get out of suffering or how to get past suffering, how to get out of suffering, avoid suffering? And I would say, no, it's, it's don't waste your suffering because we all will have to walk through it. We're all going to have to deal with suffering. And the thing about suffering is that God can actually use it in the long run for your good. God can actually use it in the long run, not just for your good, but for the good of those around you. And actually, the most incredible thing is when we go through difficult times and we faced hard circumstances, God can actually use those things for his glory in the long run. I'd say this, that suffering and difficult times at the end of the day will either strengthen your faith or they're going to. And so today, I hope we want to talk about some ways and some tips that I would encourage you to look at in yourself so that when you face tragedy, when you face suffering, you come out of it on the other end stronger than you were. When All right. So we're going to talk about one of the craziest stories of tragedy in the Bible. We're going to talk about Job. You guys remember this guy? Job, I, when I was giving the, the verses to Tyler this morning, he goes, ooh, it's going to be a fun one, huh? <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. All right. So Job, let's, let's jump in and we're just going to read. Uh, we're going to, y'all are going to be proud of me. We're going to cover 38 chapters in about 45, two hours today, right? So it's going to be great. Forty, yeah. Um, all right, so Job chapter 1, verse 1. I'm just going to read through it, and then we're going to talk about it. There was a man in the country of us named Job. He was a man of perfect integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and his estate included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Hear this. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the east. You say, what's that? Northeast, that way. The best of all those people. That's not a real interpretation of the Bible. Verse 4, his sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes, and they would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular practice. So as the Bible begins to paint this picture of who this Job guy is for us, what we learn about him is, one, he's really well off. Like he's doing really good for himself. He's extremely rich, has a ton of land, has a ton of livestock, which is how they measured wealth in this time period. He has period. He has a huge family, lots of servants. He was, the Bible says, the greatest man among all the people of the East. So he is well known. He's the Bill Gates of the time, right? He's, he's, he's the Steve Jobs of the time. He's, he's this guy who's well known by everybody. He's rich. He's wealthy. But more importantly, he loved God. He feared God. He served God. Did y'all catch what it said about his family? 
like his his family would have like parties and stuff. And so just in case they sinned, he would like make animal sacrifices. Not because they did, but just in case they did. Like that's how much he revered God and loved guys. Like just in case, I'm gonna make sure that this is right. He was somebody that loved God a lot. He walked closely with God. And so we see this, this picture of Job Payne in verse six. It says, One of the one day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan. Satan also came with them. Excuse me. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything you own? he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Did you guys catch what just happened there? Satan comes to the Lord and they begin to talk about Job. And Satan's like, hey, the only reason he loves you, the only reason he serves you, the only reason he follows you is because you've been so good to him. If you'll just let me, if you'll just let me tear him down, if you'll let me hurt him, then he's going to turn around and he's going to curse you. And so God says, right, let's see what happens. And here's, here's how it goes down. Verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That's a bad start to the day, right? Verse 16, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and reported a lightning storm struck from heaven. It burned up the sheep and servants and devoured them. And I alone have escaped to tell you, man, if this is starting to happen, you're starting to have an idea that this is not going to be a good day, right? (laughs) Verse 17, while that messenger was still speaking, so he's not even finished talking yet. Another guy comes up. Another came and reported the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. There's always one guy that gets away. Joe might want to ask like, oh, something fishy here. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people and so died, and I alone have escaped. Now, I'm pretty sure that some of us in here have had a bad day before, but I doubt that we've ever had that kind of a And here's how Job responds in verse 20. It says, Then Job stood up, he tore his robes, and he shaved his head. And you say, that's kind of a weird response. It's, it was a sign of mourning, what just happened. He tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground. And so in a matter of seconds, Job has found out that he's lost all of his livestock, all of his wealth, all of his family, except for his wife. Not exactly the best, you'll find out. He finds out he's lost all of these things. And here's how he responds. As he fell to the ground and worshiped. Y'all remember last week, rejoice in the Lord always. And here's what he said. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will leave this life the Lord gave. And the Lord takes away, praise be the name of Yahweh. Which, throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. So we see this man who loves God, who serves God, who literally loses everything in one day 
And his responses, his responses, God, it's yours anyway. Think about that. He loses everything and his response is, God, it was never mine from the beginning. It was always yours. You gave it to me and you take it away. Either way, praise your name. Either way, bless you. It's kind of shocking a little. It's, it's incredible. And what we see is this incredible foundation of a man whose foundation is based in his relationship with God, not on God's stuff, but on God himself. Someone who can step and say, it's yours anyway, God. If you give it to me, great. If you don't, great. Either way, I'm going to worship. But like last week, but wait, there's more. It gets better. After this happens, he refuses to curse God. Instead, he worships God. His response is to worship God and say, God, I'm following you no matter what. Satan comes back to God and says, well, the only reason he's still serving you is because his health is okay. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, <laughs> and so God says, okay. Well, let's take away his health and see what happens. And so the Bible says that he literally is struck with boils, which are like, let me get a little graphic, is oozing sores. Anybody have an oozing sore? No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's these oozing sores literally from head to toe. And when we pick it up in the Bible, if we were to go through and read those verses, it would say that we find him sitting in a pile of ashes, scratching himself with pottery itching himself with broken pottery. Wow. And so that's where we pick up. And what happens is his wife comes to him and she gives him this advice. (laughs) She says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Essentially, her response is, Job, give God the middle finger and let this be the end of it. And here's how Job responds back. He said, you speak, chapter two, verse 10. He says, you speak as a foolish woman should we accept only the good from God and not adversity? This dude should be preaching, not me. Should we accept the good from God and not adversity? His first response, we see the foundation of his faith. The second response, we see the treasure of his heart. We see the thing that he cares about most. It's not God's stuff. It's what's inside. And in this story, I want us to see, I want us to draw out What exactly is revealed in Job, in the character of Job, in the faith of Job, whenever he deals with suffering? And the first thing we see at the very beginning is we see the strength of his foundation. His foundation is fundamental, right? Like the foundation of his faith is the key to all of this. And so often when we, when we face suffering, when we face pain, like it's easy to serve God, it's easy to love God and the good times, but it's when we face difficulty, when we face adversity, when we face true suffering that the foundation of our faith is revealed. And so often what we find in, in my own life, like I'm, I'm not just like talking to you, I'm talking to myself and my own life is what I find is sometimes the foundation of my faith is sometimes weak. And I think that the, the, the risk here or uh, the thing that we deal with, especially where we live right now, is our faith in God sometimes lives its way out as like a, how can I say this? It's our foundation is in, and for our faith in Christ is almost a karma gospel. It's like karma Christianity. And so what I mean by that is what we think is if I follow God, if I do good, if I do what he says, then he's going to make everything okay. If I, if I, if I obey the rules, if I follow out the checklist, if I, all right, went to church, went to community group, I served on the dream team. Like if I do this, I do this, I do this. Well, then God's going to take care of me. God's going to bless me. God's going to prosper me. And here's the thing is that our prosperity and God's goodness are not interlinked. 
They're not one and the same. If that were the case, we would look at Paul and we'd be like, Paul, what you doing wrong, man? You're in jail, bro, getting beat. Like, I'm not listening to that guy. Our prosperity and God's goodness are not one and the same. And so, so often, though, when we walk through our faith, and I don't think we mean to do this, but we think in our head, I'm doing good, I'm following God, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, so he's going to make everything work out the way I want it to. And we realize that our faith in God, our, the foundation of it, isn't based on a love for God, but on this expectation of a cosmic give and take. And I think in tragedy, our faith gets shaken because we're thinking, I followed you. I've been doing what you said. Why is this not working out like I thought it would? I'm doing what I'm supposed to. Why are you not? That's not how it always works. I'm going to use Ryan as an example. Last week, Ryan, this is what you get for speaking on stage. Last week, Ryan shared with the church a little bit about what he walked through and the worrying that he faced whenever he lost his job a couple years. And I would bet for most people, I'm not saying you did this, but for a lot of people, if they walk through that situation of losing their job, they think you, you might be tempted to think, well, God, I've been following you faithfully. Why did you let this happen? God, my family goes to church every week. Why did you let this happen? God, why are you not, right? Why are you, why are you? And what we realize in the moment is that that's not how God operates necessarily. And when we think that way, we realize that our faith is based on this give and take from God that we think we can somehow earn his blessings or even put him in a corner where he has to bless us and he has to do what we want. That's not who God is. He's good and kind and faithful. That doesn't mean I get a house on the lake. It could mean that. I think it's natural for our human nature to do that. And sometimes our shallow faith is revealed. One time, one of the shallowest examples I could give you, I had a friend that uh, went to high school with. And uh, so one day he was leaving my house. And this was right after we graduated. He's leaving the house. He's backing out of the driveway. And he hits this lady who was like sitting in her car. Like she wasn't even moving. Like he just backs out and hits her. And when that happens, he kind of loses it, puts the car in gear and er, peels out. Like just takes off. And this woman, it was amazing. Like this little old lady, she was like, she took off after him and like did like some kind of fast and the furious move where she cuts him off. Like it was all like literally peeled out, like slid in front of him, stopped him, got out, took like, took his insurance from him, you know, like walking and going, okay, she didn't really do that. But anyways, it was, it was amazing. Like how she tracked him down. So he goes, he goes through all this. He comes back to me. And a couple weeks later, I kid you not, we had this conversation. Mike, I just don't know if I believe in God anymore because if, if, I, if God was so good to me, why would he have let me get in that wreck? Like, how is God supposed to help your bad driving, right? Like, come on. The worst part about that story was a year earlier, he had been in a tragic car accident where, God, where he literally had to be care-flighted to the hospital. He fell asleep at the wheel, should have been dead. God literally, quite literally, saves his life. A year later, he's like, come on, God, aren't you even real? Sometimes in suffering and difficulty, the shallowness of our foundation is the foundation of our faith is a deep relationship with God, which means we chase after his desires, his purpose, his glory. Those are the guiding principles of our lives, not the other way around. And I think it's founded in, a, in an understanding that we were created for God, not the other way around. We were created for him, not the other way around. And in Job's response, we see the, the, the foundation of his faith. And so if you take notes, write this down. Don't waste your suffering. Let it strengthen your foundation. In your suffering, let it strengthen your foundation. Secondly, in Job's suffering, we see the, his treasure revealed when his wife walks up to him and she comes to him. And I was saying she's not a great wife. I, I, think, I'm, I think she actually gets a bad rap. Because could you imagine losing everything in one day, losing all of your children in one day, the pain and the agony that she must have been walking through? And so I joke about her, but really, I, 
I, I can't imagine what she was walking through and dealing with. Like it's heavy and hard, and so I don't blame her for her response. But her response essentially is, Job, what's the point in serving God anymore? He's taken away all the blessings. He's taken away everything that had made our lives good. Why don't we just give it up? And But Job instead sees it this way. Should we accept good from God and not the adversity? He's saying God has blessed us. Even in the difficult times, our hearts trust him. And in this response, it's revealed that he doesn't follow God. He doesn't love God for God's stuff. He's not seeking temporal things. His heart is chasing after God. And I think a heart that treasures God above all things, a relationship with God above all things, that helps us to able to be able to walk through and walk in suffering. I think that's why we see Paul in the jail cell able to praise and worship God. I think that's why we see Christians who devoid of circumstance, are able to love God and worship God and follow him regardless of what's going on in their lives. Because at the end of the day, it's not about circumstances for them. It's about God. It's not about what's happening around their faith. Their love for God isn't based on the things happening around them. It's based on the relationship we have with him. In Philippians chapter 1, 20, Paul says this. He says, my eager expectation is and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether it is by, by my life or by my death. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. There's a cool quote from uh, John Piper. He says, the way we honor Christ in death is to treasure Jesus even above our life. And the way we honor Jesus in life is to treasure him even above the gifts of life. And so first and foremost, let suffering strengthen your foundation. Secondly, write down, let it resolve in your heart what you treasure most. And then finally, the last thing I'll say here is let it deepen your trust in God. For 30 plus chapters, we see people talking, giving Job advice, what he should do. His wife comes to him, says, curse God and die. And then there's about 30 chapters of conversations he has with his friends and they're giving advice. Here's how you deal with this, Job. Here's how you need to deal with this. Here's how you need to deal with this. And they have kind of this back and forth on their opinions about God and him responding. And it just kind of goes literally for 30 chapters And at the end of it, Job begins to kind of feel sorry for himself and he begins to question God and he begins to even question God's goodness. And why are you, why did you let this happen to me? Like fair questions that we probably all have when we face suffering. And then God does this incredible thing (laughs) for the first time in the book of Job, he speaks to Job and it's amazing. I'm just going to read it. And, And what he does when he speaks is he reminds Job who he is, because when we face tragedy, when we deal with difficult circumstances, sometimes we forget exactly who God is. And we begin to doubt. We begin to lose trust. And Job began to do that. And here's how God responded to him. Chapter 38, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, and he said, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. So essentially he comes to Job and he says, Stand up. Let's have a conversation. We're about to talk. When I question you, you will inform me. So he says, I'm going to ask you some questions. You're going to tell me the answer to these questions. Like, oh, (laughs) okay. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have any understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Who supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thickness darkness in its blanket? When I determined its boundaries and put its bars and the doors in its place, when I declared that you may come this far and no further, your proud waves stop here. 
Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of the earth and change this clay by a seal? Its hills stand out like folds of a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked and the arm raised and violence is broken. Have you ever traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the ocean? Have the gates of the depths been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? And then God gets sarcastic. Tell me, if you know all this, tell me, Job. Let's talk. Where did the where is the road to the home of light? Do you know where the darkness lives so you can lead it back to its border? Are you familiar with the paths to its home? Don't you know you were already born? So Job, you're you're old enough. You should know this. <laughs> you have lived so long. Have you entered the place where the snow is stored or have you seen the storehouses of hail, which I hold in reserve for the times of trouble of the day of warfare and battle? What road leads to its place where the light is dispersed, where the source of the east wind that spreads across the earth, who cuts a channel for the flooding rain or clears the way for lightning to bring rain or the uninhabited land on a desert with no human life to satisfy the parched wasteland or cuts the grass to the sprout? Does the rain have a father? Who fathered the drops of the dew? Whose womb did the ice come from? Who gave birth to the frost of heaven when water becomes as hard as stone on the surface or the watery depths is frozen? Can you fasten the chains of the platys or loosen the belt of Orion? Can you bring the constellations in their season or lead the bear and her cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on earth? Can you command the clouds so the floods of the water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts? And they go, do they report to you? Here we are. I'm going to stop there. Wow. As Job begins to question God's goodness, as Job begins to question who God is, God responds with this incredible passage of who I am, how he created, how he inspires, how he uh, controls. And he essentially reminds Job exactly, this is who I am just in case you are beginning to forget. And I think that this is so important for us because when we suffer, when we walk through difficult times, when we face challenges, sometimes in our suffering, we forget who our God is. Sometimes in our difficult times, our trust in God begins to question. And when Job began to question, God essentially says, Job, shut up and let's talk. It's kind of contradictory. Job, shut up and let me talk. And sometimes I am so thankful that God talks to me like that. Maybe not you, but I I need to be slapped sometimes. In suffering, sometimes we forget exactly how almighty the Almighty is, how powerful the Almighty is, how amazing the Almighty is. And here's the important one, how far above our thinking and comprehension the Almighty is. In our suffering, we begin to lose our faith and trust, and we need to remind it how incredible our God is, and that even if we don't understand what's happening around us, we can put our trust and faith in Him, because after all, He is all things, knows all things. In suffering, we must be reminded that He is sovereign above all, that He is God above all, and that He above all, that we can trust Him in the big picture. And so when you're suffering, allow it to strengthen your faith in God. Because I think that, well, to use Ryan's story again, sorry, bud. I think that he would tell you, and anyone who's walked through, tell you that as they walk through that situation, as they walk through it, as they relied on God to be their foundation, as they relied on God to be their treasure, and as they trusted Him with each passing step, 
I'll bet your faith grew. And I bet your trust in him grew. And I bet that it wasn't because at the end of the day, he provided or, or gave you a job or, or gave you what you wanted, but it was because every step of the way he was sufficient, even in that moment. That as you were scared and worried and didn't know what was going to happen, he was right there every step of the way being sufficient, saying, I am God. I am good. Walk with me. Be close. And I want to encourage you, if you're dealing with suffering now or will face it someday in the future, allow it to increase your faith in God. Allow it to increase your trust in God. Because if you walk closely with him, what you'll find is he is sufficient for your need. And at the end of the day, what you will find is that he is the most incredible, most amazing, most powerful thing in the universe, even above anything you ever thought or imagined. And so as you walk through your difficult time, as you walk in your suffering, even when you can't see the next step, know that he already knows 40 steps down the road. And when this tragic thing happened to you, he was not surprised in the least. Matter of fact, he saw it coming before you ever even thought about it. And he already knows what's going to trust him even as you walk through. And if you need to be reminded who he is, go and read Job chapter 38 and go, oh yeah, that's the God I love. That's the God I serve. I can put my faith and trust. And so in our suffering, allow it to strengthen your foundation in God. Allow it to resolve in your heart to treasure God above all. And finally, allow it to deepen your trust in who God is. Father, I love you and I thank you, Lord God. I know that so often we face difficult circumstances and we Well, sooner or later, we're all going to have to deal with the tragedies of life. We're going to have to walk through suffering ourselves. And God, I pray that you will walk closely with us. I know you will, but God, I pray that our our foundation will be increased, Lord, that our trust will be increased, that our, our treasure will be resolved. God, that we will be people who don't allow suffering and hard times to shake our faith, but instead that we'll allow them to increase and strengthen our faith, God, that we would walk even closer with you at the end of the day. And so, Father, if there's anyone in here who's dealing with this, who's walking through this, Lord, I pray that you would be so close to them, even now, even in this moment. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're going to end things a little bit differently. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond in a different way. If you were here in August, remember that we decided to start doing communion once a month as a church family. And so we have two tables set up. Uh, with the bread and the juice at the back here or in the middle. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray and the band's going to play uh, our response song. And what I would encourage you to do, the way I would encourage you to respond is to come down, take the elements, the bread and the juice, take it back to your seat and spend time responding to thinking about uh, what we just talked about, um, praying about what we just talked about, but even more so the purpose of communion. Christ commanded it that it would be a reminder of what he did on the cross for you and I. That it would be a reminder of his sacrifice on the cross for you and I. And so what I want to encourage you to do is come down, and and you don't have to, okay? If you are uncomfortable, you don't have to. But I want to encourage you to go take the elements, take them back to your seat, spend time in prayer and thanksgiving and responding to God. So I'm going to pray and do that, okay? Father, we love you, God. Thank you so much for your sacrifice on the cross, your your body which was broken, for us, Father, your blood that was shed for us, God, you are amazing. And so we worship you, God, and we respond to you in worship, regardless of what's going on in our lives, and we respond to you in worship because you are good.